Welcome to the Sydney Uni EU podcast. Today's talk is from One Samuel and was given by Brian Learn. Good to be with you again, and welcome, um, especially for those who are on the live stream today. Um, and yeah, I guess that's something that you, I guess you should know if you ever have, are stuck at home and can't make it to a public meeting that you can join online at online.sydneyuni.org. Um, I'd like to start today by asking you a question. Put up your hand if you think making and keeping friends is easy. Put up your hand if you think making and keeping friends is hard. That's most people in the room. I wonder how you've gone personally at making friends while you've been at uni. It's um, potentially one of the great benefits of being a full-time student that you make friends at university. Uh, it's one of the benefits of coming along to AnCon, that you get to come out with new friends as well. But of course the effects of COVID and online classes have made a lot of that very difficult over the last couple of years. And I wouldn't be surprised if you've had special difficulty uh, trying to make friends on campus over the last few years. But whether the opportunities have been taken from you by COVID or you just find it difficult in yourself to make friends, I want to encourage you today to find and make and keep good friends around you. We're in our third week of our series in 1 Samuel and the character of David. And today I'd like you to, to invite you on an imaginative exploration through the eyes of one of David's friends, maybe his best friend. Well, I want to tell you about my friend, Dave. But first, let me tell you a bit about me. My dad's the king. He's the ruler of all Israel, and he leads all the tribes of Israel in battles. As his firstborn son, I'm next in line to the throne. A prince, if you like, but I don't like to think too much about that. What can I tell you about me? Well, I love the Lord, I love my country, I love my family, I love my friends. I don't want to boast, but I'm pretty good with a sword and a spear or a bow and arrow if I do say, say so myself. You're going to need those skills if you're going to go up against the Philistines or the Amalekites, a group like them. Well, one of the best days of my life was that this time we were fighting the Philistines. It was crazy. They had all the firepower, they had chariots, horses, everything. And one big advantage they had was they knew how to work with iron. We only had bronze. Well, no one had the best weapons, only me and Dad. I guess there's a lot riding on me. So I say to my armor bearer, let's go up to the Philistine outpost and see if God will fight for us. And he says, I'm with you heart and soul. What, what a great guy. So I sneak up and I say, well, we'll let ourselves be seen by them and God will give us a sign. If they say, stay there, then we'll stay put. But if they say, come up to us, then we'll go up, and that will be the sign that God has given them into our hands. So, sure as that, they said, come up to us and we'll teach you a thing. And so that, I, I knew God was with me. As soon as we started climbing up on all fours, I knew God was with me. I got in there, and it was wham, 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 man after man going down. We took down 20 soldiers in a row as soon as we got in there. And then God sent an earthquake. 
And the whole garrison was put into a panic. And they're all panicking, running away. They're even killing each other. And then when our people see that they're running away, they join in the fight as well. Well, you know how they say the battle belongs to the Lord? Well, I know it. I've experienced it. When God's on your side, you just go with what he brings. People always think too much about the obstacles. People always say, oh, this won't work, that won't work. They always say, you know, there's this problem, there's that problem. You know, if you're running in the forest and all you see is trees, you're going to hit a tree. But if you're not looking at the trees and you're looking for the path, well, God will make a way. And you just got to trust him. Well, God was with me that day. That was such a great day. But that was nothing compared to what happened to my best mate. Well, we're in battle again. The Philistines are there on one side of the valley. We're here on the other side of the valley. And then there comes out this giant of a man. He's really tall. If you were the tallest person in this room, you'd still look up to him and say, Oh, wow, do you play basketball? He was really tall. And he is kitted out in full armor from head to toe. He is like the, a, a walking fortress in himself. He's got this big javelin, big spear, big sword, everything. And he comes out and he says, Oh, we don't have to go to war. Choose a man to fight me one on one. If he can kill me, we'll lay down our weapons and serve you. But if I kill him, you lay down your weapons and serve us. Well, I'm thinking, what a boofhead. But there is no way I'm going up against him one on one. This guy, he's a, he's a big fortress unto himself with all that armor. And it's not like my dad would let me go out there anyway. Well, all of a sudden, there's this fellow who's just coming around talking about taking on the giant. He's asking about what kind of reward someone's going to get for killing the Philistine. I mean, like he's got the, the guy to do it. No offense, but he's the meal delivery guy. He's just come to bring bread and cheese for his brothers and for the soldiers. Anyway, uh, he's the only one who's game enough to go out. Dad hears about it and summons him. He's a fine looking guy. Well, he doesn't look like a warrior, but what he's got is heart. He just wants to go out there and teach the Philistines a lesson. He's got so much confidence in God. Well, my dad tries to put his armor on him, but he's like, I can't go with this, I'm not used to that. So in the end, he goes out with a bunch of rocks and a sling. And I'll never forget what he said when he got out there onto the battlefield. He said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. What a great line. I mean, this guy was the real deal. When it comes to trusting that God doesn't need a sword or a spear to save his people, he really walked the walk. He put himself on the line that day. And then, whack, one stone, one hit right between the eyes. Wow, what a shot, he did it. He killed the giant without even having a sword or spear in his hand. Well, that day I knew that I hadn't just found a friend. I hadn't just found someone else who trusts God enough to walk into danger, into battle alone. I knew he was destined to become the next king of Israel. Don't you think friendship is like that? 
It's discovering that you share something so deep with someone else. And it's discovering someone you're not even jealous of. They're just, so, in so many ways, who you want to be. And there's something about that common experience, facing battle to get together, facing danger together, that bonds you together like nothing else. Now, I've got to say, some of you guys, you've forgotten how to spend time with people. You're busy with something, I don't know what. But you're missing out on more than just chit-chat and networking or something. You're missing out on the chance to find your friends. Well, I say, get out there and fight some battles. Do something hard. Face a challenge with a group of strangers. Do something hard and do it for the Lord. And it's not about your CV. It's not about the accolades. It's not about bragging rights. Do it for God and discover some friends. They're out there. Go and get them. Now, you know, that day I found a friend. I found more than a friend. I felt my own heart and soul become bound up with his. He was someone who shared my faith, who shared my passion for God's people, who didn't just share my willingness to go into battle. He turned, up, he turned all of that up to 11. Lucky for me, my dad wouldn't let him go home. Someone like him gets taken into the royal court. Turns out, he's a great musician too, singer-songwriter even. He wrote a whole book of worship music that's still at the top of the charts. My dad had this evil spirit that would make him suffer, but he always felt better when Dave would play for him on the lyre. Anyway, I wasn't letting go of him either. We actually made a covenant with each other to be best friends. I promised I'd always be there for him. He promised he'd always be there for me. I promised to stick up for him, be loyal to him, and he promised to stick up for me, be loyal to me. I suppose it was a bit like a marriage, except that we both got married and had kids and all that. But I'm not ashamed to say that I love him. Isn't that what friendship is all about? You know, I've been thinking about that. They say friends are the family you choose. Because you can't choose your parents, you can't choose your brothers and sisters. You just got who you got. You just gotta love them no matter what. But your friends are the ones that you get to and you've got to choose for yourself. And they're like a family too. If you've got a good friend, you love them so much. You'd do anything for them. And you know they do it for you too. One of the most important laws in the Bible is love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. Well, that's hard. It's hard to love everyone like yourself. It takes work to love people who aren't like you. But with Dave, I really did love him as myself. Well, when I saw him defeat Goliath, I knew he was going to be king one day. He deserved to be the next king of Israel. And so I took off my robe and my armor and I put it on him. I gave him my bow and arrow, my sword, my belt and everything. I put it on him because he was the one who really deserved all that. But I've now got to tell you about how I almost, I, well I did, I lost contact with my best friend. And I might never see him again. For some reason, my dad started getting super paranoid about David. I think he was just jealous, but 
He even said to me and all the, all the other attendants, that we should kill him. And I said to Dad, don't even think about it. He's done nothing against you, and his whole life has been nothing but a blessing to you. Don't you even remember how he defeated that giant and saved all Israel? And he gave me his word that he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't kill you. So I thought things would be all right. I guess now I probably shouldn't have taken him at his word. Because the next time I saw Dave, he was on the run. He was acting like a wanted criminal, trying to escape capture. Or I guess it's more accurate to say he was acting like someone who'd been framed for a crime that he didn't commit. He comes to me and he's like, what have I done that your father wants to kill me? He has that look of fear in his eyes. But I say, it's not true. My dad tells me everything he's going to do. If he wanted to kill you, I'd know. I'm trying to reassure him, but he's not, it's not working. And he says, well, your dad knows that we're friends. That's why he wouldn't tell you. You've got to help me. One wrong step and I'm dead meat. I say, okay, tell me what to do. And he comes up with this plan so I can find out if my dad really does want to kill him. Basically, he comes up with this excuse to not be at the new moon feast where dad has a seat for him at the table. And if dad gets really furious about it, well, we'll really know that he wanted to kill him. Well, so I come up with a plan to tell him the outcome of that secretly. He'll hide in the field and I'll take a servant boy like I'm doing some shooting practice and he's getting the arrows for me and I call out, if, if I say the arrows are on this side, that means that David's safe. And if I say the arrows are on the far side, they're beyond you. And that means he's in danger and he's got to run. Well, you know, I talked about us making that covenant and when we first became friends, well, this was a time we really needed that covenant. Dave brought it up first. Uh, that's, I guess that's how I know how worried he was because he said, deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And what he meant was, don't cross me now. Don't lie to me and hand me over to your dad. My life depends on it. We promised we'd be friends for life. I need you to be a friend right now. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. As if I wouldn't tell him everything I know. On the other hand, I needed him to keep his side of the covenant too. If I need to send him away, I can't afford to lose his friendship. If he becomes king one day, he might turn around and see me as a threat, even though I have nothing but love and admiration for him. Well, I swore to him that I would protect him and I made him swear that he would protect me and my descendants too. I guess friendships do have to be tested sometimes. When you're doing okay, and you think friends are nice to have, they're just people you chat with, play with, do nothing with. But when you're in trouble, when you need help, they're the people you lean on. They're like the ones who are holding the ropes for you so that you don't fall and die. That's why there's testing in a friendship. You know, those moments when you challenge each other and call on each other to know the strength of your bond. You'd never abseil down a cliff if you didn't have confidence in your rope. But ropes, ropes can rot if you don't take care of them. Well, what about you? Who are you holding the ropes for at the moment? And maybe an even better question would be, who's holding the ropes for you? Who do you lean on? And would you actually lean on them? Or just try to do it on your own? Because I've noticed in your part of the world, 
A lot of people say they're willing to give help, but they never ask for help. You think if you say, ah, I need something from you, well, then you're being too weak or too needy or too emotional. I mean, I guess it's true, you can be too demanding sometimes, but you also need to test your friendships. It's not good if you're always asking for favours and never giving in return, or if you're always trying to force your friends to do something that they don't want to do. But it's no use saying that you have your friends and then never asking them to pray for the things that you're actually worried about. It's no use not asking for help when you actually need it. Well, there's no shame in asking someone to be a friend for you. That's just what love looks like. For Dave and me, we needed those promises from each other and we needed a plan. We had the plan, now it was up to me to carry it out. I go to the new moon feast and Dad's there, Uncle Abner's there, David's place is missing. It's empty. I'm acting like it's all cool. My legs are shaking underneath the table. I'm just waiting for what Dad's going to say. I can hardly even taste what I'm eating. I'm so distracted. But Dad doesn't say anything. That whole day, he probably just thought, oh, David, he's gotten himself unclean by touching a dead animal or something. So I had to wait the next day. The next day, we sit down for the meal. Dad's there. Uncle Abner's there. Dave, his place is missing. His empty. It's like this glaring hole at the king's dinner table that he's not there. Now my heart is pumping like overtime. Dad turns to me and he says, why hasn't the son of Jesse turned up to the meal either yesterday or today? I've got the line running in my head already. David asked me for permission to go to home to Bethlehem because his family is giving a sacrifice and his brothers needed it. I hardly had to wait before I knew what my dad thought. He got fired up with anger before I'd even finished. Suddenly he's cussing me, he's calling me son of a such and such. He's accusing me of betraying him, lecturing me on how my kingdom will never be established as long as David's alive. It's all that I can do to answer back. Why do you want to kill him? What wrong has he done? And then dad took his spear and threw it at me. That's when I knew that there was no way back. My dad will never give up on killing my best friend. This will never end until one of them dies. I felt totally betrayed by my father. He was worse than crazy. He was deranged. He was a madman. He was going to hunt down and kill an innocent person for no reason at all. I wish I could blame it on someone else. Maybe he'd been corrupted by one of his advisors whispering in his ear. Or maybe he'd been radicalized by what you guys call social media. Or some conspiracy theorists had gotten to him. But no, it wasn't any of that. I think this is just what happens when the wrong people get into power. I'm sorry to say, I don't think my dad should have been made king in the first place. Well, I was so angry that night, I refused to eat anything at all. I was so ashamed of my dad, I just walked out of there. In the morning, I knew I had to let Dave know without letting anyone else know. So I said to one of the young boys, come into the field, I want to do some target practice. I took my bow and some arrows, and we got to the place where Dave and I had agreed. And the boy ran, and I shot the arrow beyond him, and I called out the line that we had agreed. The arrows are beyond you. And then I cried out, hurry. 
go quickly. Don't stop. The words weren't for the boy. Dave wasn't safe anymore. He had to run. I almost choked on the words as I cried them out. Why should being a friend mean telling your friend to run for his life? I thought we'd be next to each other for life. But I've learned that being a friend isn't doing what's easy and comfortable. You really learn how to be a friend when sticking with someone costs you. When doing what's best for someone means throwing away your dreams. And the boy didn't know anything, of course. He brought the arrows back and I said, no more practice for today. Take the weapons back to town. When the boy was out of sight, I saw Dave come out from behind the big stone and he bowed right down, face down to the ground three times like his whole body was saying, thank you. And then we just put our arms around each other and cried and cried these big, manly, affectionate, strong, emotional tears. I can taste the tears in my mouth. I can see the tears on his face. I've never known more than in that moment that everybody needs a friend. I said to him, Dave, go in peace. God is between us and between our families forever. Because of my dad, he and I would have to fight in opposing armies. We would have to act like enemies. But because of our covenant before God, because of our friendship, we were at peace. Whatever else happened, we were fighting for each other. Our friendship was as precious to us as life itself. We might be separated forever, but we were friends for life. Do you want to know what friendship is like? Friendship is patient. Friendship is kind. Friends don't envy. They don't boast. They aren't proud. They show honor. They aren't self-seeking. They aren't easily angered. They don't keep a record of wrongs. Friendship doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Friendship always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Make sure you find your friends, won't you? Make sure you make them friends. Make sure you test your friends and make sure you be a friend when it counts. Make sure you keep your friends. I don't know if I'll ever see Dave again. Last I heard, he had taken himself into exile and joined the Philistines. We go out with the army again tomorrow to defend against the Philistine forces. They have the firepower and the position to overrun us. I don't know what's going to happen. May the Lord be with us all. Jonathan. The Philistines did overrun Saul's forces in that battle. Jonathan and his brothers all died in battle, and Saul fell on his own sword when he was critically wounded. In 2 Samuel 1, David grieves for both Saul and Jonathan, but especially for Jonathan. When he becomes king, David honors his covenant with Jonathan by finding his, Jonathan's one surviving son and providing for him. David followed through on his promise to be a true friend. Now I'm going to make you do a bit of work right now. I'd like you to talk to the person next to you. 
how does Jonathan's friendship with David point us to Jesus? Why don't you try to put the person next to you and just talk to them for 60 seconds? Um, all right, I'd love you to raise your hand if you, um, you had an idea about how Jonathan and David point us to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that love for, for the other person that's, that's um, so central to David and Jonathan's friendship, that is exactly what Jesus does as well for us. Well, you know, Jonathan was lucky to be the friend of Israel's Messiah, the Anointed One. How remarkable is it that when Jesus speaks to his disciples, knowing that he is God's Son, the true Anointed One, he says, I have called you friends. See, we could not claim to have the kind of loyalty that Jonathan had. Jesus Christ made himself vulnerable to us. He chose to stick it out with us. He made a plan to serve us. He carried it through to the end, even though it broke his heart. He was a friend. He was the friend that we needed, even though we weren't. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you've been such a friend to us sinners. You've pursued us redeemed us, brought us peace, and made us friends with you. Give us wisdom and grace to be your friend and to be friends to one another. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's talk. The Evangelical Union, or EU, is a student club on campus at Sydney University that seeks to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. To join us or to find out more, please visit sydneyuneeu.org.